This episode of Star Trek Monthly Monday, number 35, is sponsored by Nathaniel Miller. Nathaniel writes, love all your shows, but especially, uh, but this is especially for Star Trek Monthly Mondays because Trek was the start of it all for me in daily reruns in the early 1970s. Regards, me too. Yeah, us as well. Regards, Nate Miller from Buffalo, New York. And Ooh. we have a second sponsor this month. What? Unbelievable. It's what? Unreal. It's awesome. We also have sponsorship from Tim Elliott. And he writes, I would like to sponsor Star Trek Monthly Monday, the original series. I want to dedicate this show to my wife who puts, all, uh, put, who puts up with all my comics, toys, movies, and everything else in my collection. Uh, he says, I love you. Fin- is it Finula? It's F-I-N-U-L-A. I sure hope I'm pronouncing that right. Finula. She says, love the show, guys. And I uh, hope I can help keep the lights on. And that's from Tim Elliott, Carrollton, Texas. So awesome. James T. Kirk. Don't you read history? What did you say your name was? Captain Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise. Which one of you is the captain? Did we violate the treaty, Captain? Red alert! All hands, battle stations! This is Captain Kirk. Incorrect. Can we just get down to it, please? Prepare to attack. All hands, battle stations. Gardner and Chris Honeywell. So welcome back to Star Trek Monthly Monday. This is number 35, and we've got a humdinger of an episode planned for you. We We are going to be looking at a classic, a true classic from Star Trek, the original series, uh, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to come right out and say it. Well, you know, largely considered to be the best episode of the series, at, at least for me anyway. I, I think Chris feels much the same way. And I know that uh, fandom at large is seems to be torn between two episodes. Uh, but for me, this is the hands-down favorite. But anyway, mm-hmm. I'm putting the cart before the horse. My name is Scott Gardner, and I am joined, as always, by my bestest pal, Chris Honeywell. How's How it going, doing? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> how's it going 
good. I'm having a. I'm actually having a really good day today. Everything's sort of <laughs> we'll put a falling stop in to line that. Per- perfectly. So yeah. So <laughs> we can't have that. No. So I put a podcast right in the middle of it, just so I can like have <laughs> something to mope about by the end of the day. Bomb in the mail. Dum de dum de bomb in the mail. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um. So what the hell are we doing? We're doing a. We're gonna do a commentary. Yes, we're going unorthodox. We've been very unorthodox the last couple months, and we're, we're like, in in this and the next Star Trek show, we sort of jettisoned the comics so we could focus more on these individual shows. Because, and usually with our next generation show, we'll do two episodes. Right. But we're only do it. We're doing the last episode of the first season. So yes. We're gonna, you know, there there we're gonna fine tune our focus on this one and Focus. and and usually we 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 just we could just talk about this episode for hours and hours but we decided to do a commentary this time well i liked your idea because i my original idea was actually to do almost like two episodes just for this one uh show that we're examining you know city on the edge of forever to do basically uh, you know, a, a talky episode of us and then do another one that was a commentary and you had the idea, hey, why don't we do the commentary up front and then we just, you know, we'll carry on just talking about the episode for whatever yeah, we, we can, have left. We, past we can hit everything commentary. we don't hit in the commentary afterwards. Yeah. yeah. So I really liked that idea and I, I like what uh, what you've got planned. I don't know if you want to keep that a secret or not, so I won't spoil it, but you've got a, a little surprise of a topic past City right. Forever. No, I'll, I'll, I'll say it because then they can sit on it the whole time waiting <laughs> for us to talk about it. Um, one of our, and it also gives me a chance to shout out one of our listeners, Alan Leach. Yes. Who sent me a big old media mail care package, which when, when, when a package comes to my house and it has a, the media mail stamp on it, that's when I start getting excited, you know, because <laughs> I know it's full of books or so, you know, something similar to that. It's full of media, which is what I love, and one of the the probably the best thing in this huge um, package, which you'll hear about as we get to each episode that that the item falls into, but but this one item falls perfectly for this this episode. I think he sent this timed so that you know I could have this in in time for this. But he sent me Harlan Ellison's "The City on the Edge of Forever." The original teleplay that became the classic Star Trek episode. And it's about yeah, 200 and change. That's uh, almost 300 page book. And it's got the teleplay and about three rewrites of it. And it's got about, you know, uh, three of the early drafts of just the storyline. And the rest of it is basically Harlan Ellison ranting and raving about the whole situation surrounding it. So. It's a great book. Uh, I I enjoyed the hell out of it. I can't wait because, um, you know, I read the book and I've been wanting to. I think he I had actually mentioned that you know I would try to dig this up for this episode and here it came, and so I have a lot to say <laughs> about that about with this and and uh, and you know it'll be hard for me not to talk about it during the commentary, but I'm gonna try to keep the commentary just to you know the that episode and right how i've always how i've always remembered it and all all that and stuff but yeah i'm 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 really looking forward to this i i 
I would say, I think I said this last time, I think this is the best Star Trek episode, but it's not my favorite. But it's, it's, the, it's the best Star Trek episode. It's got everything in it, you know, that you could possibly want in a Star Trek episode, and you got it in the first season. So, uh, so which one is your favorite? Have you said? Have I, you, think have all, you... I think we all know what my oh, favorite okay. is. <laughs> that one is my favorite for, for different reasons. But, I mean, if I had to, you know, if, if somebody just plain out asked, you know, what, what do you think is the best episode? Mm-hmm. I think this one's the best one. Is it my favorite one? It, it, it's weird because it's debatable. It's, it's, it's my favorite as far as it's a quality episode. You know, it's, it's, it's great television. But, yeah... You know, enemy on the, or I mean, uh, the enemy within is uh, almost said enemy on the edge of forever. <laughs> oh my <laughs> god, that would be awesome. That's an episode <laughs> right there. We have the technology now to make the enemy on the edge of forever. That would be awesome to see Kirk all flipped out. You know, evil Kirk go back through the Guardian. Yeah, that's that's an episode just waiting to write itself right there. It would be great, but you know what? It, it, when the fandom got a hold of it, it would end up being the Tribbles. On the edge of the enemy within, or something like that. <laughs> well, still, still would be a good. Can, I think that could be a lot of fun. The evil Kirk is sent throughout history to gather up and kill all the tribbles that they spilled through the Guardian of Forever, <laughs> trying to get rid of them. I think, uh, I think we should we should work on that in our in our <laughs> oodles of spare time and uh... yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put that on on a, my list of projects that I'll be getting right to. <laughs> All right, are we ready to hit the play button on this thing? All right, you want me to count it down and yeah, so what 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 Scott and I are doing? Or we are watching actually the um the what what are they called the enhanced, enhanced. versions? Yeah. So uh, we, we both pretty. we both have our players. We have our timer set at zero, and our players put on pause. And I'm going to do a three count, and then at the, say go, we hit the button, and we watch the city on the edge of forever. All right. Three, two, one, go. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I love, I love the planets yeah. in the enhanced versions. Yeah. <laughs> Hang on, Scotty, I, hang on. I, I can't help but, you know picture the the cameraman why is you her know, just... got a black band on her arm i just noticed that oh you're is right warning i that i've never i've never noticed that before yeah i just now noticed it actually there's a there's a lot of great tippiness in <laughs> in this in this episode the 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 cameraman tipper on this one was really a go-getter <laughs> Although it's really, I like the the subtle ones where you just hear the little <laughs> boom. What he's actually saying is, this is actually more important than Sulu getting fried. Yeah, yeah, Cap- I'm not, not going to bother to come down there. Keep, keep your eyes on the prize, Captain. <laughs> I love, I love. I always end up watching all the guys working on their panels and squinting right. down at them and and looking like they're really paying attention yep, and doing exactly. something. This guy is so focused on his so important job of maintaining orbit. 
and and basically McCoy's about to administer a, a injection of space meth to Sulu, you know, methadrine <laughs> type thing. And see, he's just like, huh? <laughs> why are you guys so gloomy? There is gloomy. <laughs> <laughs> What you don't realize at the end of this episode is now Sulu and McCoy are hooked on this stuff for the rest of their lives. <laughs> yeah, but it keeps them alert. And, uh... <laughs> and what I find funny is later on in they're, they're like, oh, it was set for Cordrazine, you know, his, his, oh, do you see that railing just almost uh, come out of it? <laughs> no, uh... did it? Yeah. You see that stuff? There, it's so you get an idea that the hypo just maybe has water in it and it just synthesizes whatever drug you need for it in it, you know? I think that's, that's actually not cool. a bad idea. <laughs> for a change, DeForest Kelly gets to throw the Kirk fits. I like that. Oh, yeah. You know, he's like, finally, finally, I get to, you know, well, everybody's got, got their, get you the know, hell out of that turbo lift. He always has little freakouts. He always gets to rant and rave and get mad, but he has <laughs> got a look on his face like, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, Spock always gets some weird freakish situation where he gets to experience emotions. And then, uh, you know, Kirk just, you know, they, they just let Shatner go all the time. So yeah, he gets to, DeForest Kelly gets to really shine in, in this episode and when he comes out of his his cordrazine haze it's a really nice little bit of acting too oh, yeah. you know i have uh really come over the years to to appreciate deforest kelly in a way that i never really did as as a kid watching star trek to me it was always like kirk spock and then there was that other dude you know and, and it's doctor and, yeah and now it's kind of like you know he he really has stepped up in my opinion I, I like the doctor just as much as them beautiful just beautiful uh planet. CG with this with the enhanced that's gorgeous and it's got that just... nice haze around the planet just like tattooing in star wars and stuff it looks really good and well there's there's subtle things too because as the ship was going around the edge of the planet the camera moved a little bit and you could see the the stars shift in perspective behind it's just nice little touches <laughs> and now mccoy gets to beat somebody into unconsciousness he's just like deforest kyle and and oh yeah hoo-ha that was our uh <laughs> that was our uh code for the that kind of knockout the hoo-ha hoo-ha you hit him in the back which makes him tense up and then you hit him right in the neck and it puts him out See, if Kyle comes... had offered to make him a chicken sandwich, he probably, you know, probably wouldn't have done that. I love how the the Enterprise is is full of, like has actual black people on it, but they still have '60s Michael Jackson haircuts. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's, that look has come back in the tw in in the in the what the twenty first twenty third century. All right, Tito, you take the helm. Yeah. <laughs> alert! 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 <laughs> <laughs> it's a triple dog dare alert captain it's it's so hard not to bring up the the difference because harlan ellison didn't really have mccoy in this one at all and what so <laughs> how the hell did that work 
Well, he was, he was, a, he, I'll, uh, I'll explain it before, but yeah, we wouldn't have, De, DeForest Kelly almost didn't get his chance to, to, to be the heavy in this one. You know what I never really noticed uh, until the, the last couple of viewings I've had of this is that this episode's made up almost exclusively of music from other episodes. Just chopped up, yeah, it's, it's a lot of chopped up cues, and I love how they save money here by Kirk going, the city goes to you know the city extends to both horizons right <laughs> it's like oh all right so well, that's spock has a ridiculous comment here in a second something about it this being was it yeah ten thousand centuries now my math's not good enough to work that out real quick in my head without a calculator but come on that pillar does not look Ten thousand centuries old well you don't sure know I what it looked be... like originally it could have been a whole mountain with a little hole in it and now it's just come down to this you know who knows what what what's you know there could have been a, a, a thousand cities built around it you yeah. know and that have shit was crumbled built to, to dust. last i guess yeah they you know they don't build the the last guardian of forever i got was a piece of shit it lasted about six months before it just basically <laughs> spit you into like two weeks before and you know who cares you know <laughs> And then, and then you can't send it back because it costs. You might as well just buy a new one, you know. I'm gonna get my one piece of bragging right out of the way immediately at the beginning of this one. I that guy, uh, the guy who's with Uhura. Sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. Just like he looks just like the politician Mike Huckabee. <laughs> Getting to actually jump through the Guardian mock-up at at the Kennedy Space Center. I mean, it was such a, a geek fulfillment fulfillment mm -hmm. for me after having seen this so many times as a kid. And they had it flickering, just like it's doing right here as it talks. I love that. That is so cool. I have a short in my neon lights. <laughs> <laughs> With these enhanced editions, you notice things like Spock was a smoker. He's got a bad, bad case of smoker teeth. <laughs> Huh? Says the guy who couches his answers in riddles all the freaking time. All the time, yeah. And I like how McCoy's right. face just keeps getting a little more patchy <laughs> and patchy all the time. All right, I caught something today when I was watching this. All right, we were watching Scotty and this other security guy walking around. And DeForest Kelly's hiding right in front of them behind some rocks. Nobody's got a freaking tricorder with them as they're on supposedly a search party. <laughs> exactly. Come on. I mean, he's doing a lot of the like, he's doing a lot of like stand up behind a rock and tiptoe away, you know. <laughs> this part I like a lot. We're, we're, this reminds the gateway me a lot to the, the stock footage. Yeah, see, I got to stop doing that because we'll have Luke, Jack, and Eddie writing to us going, uh, hey, uh, I had no idea what you were talking about when you said this part. I like a lot. So this is the part where the, the Guardian is actually <laughs> showing the images inside. And it's cool that they've got that, like, mist effect coming down because today they could actually do that, you know, with technology where they can project right on the mist itself. Right, right. And... So it's neat. It's uh, this was almost like foreshadowing that technology, even though that's not how they did it in the episode. But it still looks that way. It's really cool. Yeah. 
And it makes the stock footage look less like stock footage. Right. And uh, th this was the first time I caught like where Spock was like, it's it's coming up in a in a in a few seconds here where he's like, oh shit, I haven't been recording this. I should be recording this. Right. Because I always wondered. I I never caught that as a kid, and I always wondered how the hell could they be in the past and accessing computers you know the the i always thought they were somehow accessing the ship's computer and i'm oh, like okay, how no. can you access a ship's computer in the future or you know this information out you know just because you can build a computer doesn't mean you can start looking at the internet in 1930 right, right. so uh, but it's it's because spock recorded just enough of the the guardian of forever on his tricorder to play back important stuff I think that was a bad piece of dialogue on Kirk's part, too, where he said he started to ask uh, Spock. Oh, I love this part where, where McCoy jumps through. Jumps through. It's just a great shot. I like how it was, as soon as they <laughs> get... Dies in the dirt. <laughs> of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> and then he looks look at him, look around like, oh, whoa. And what's wrong but, with Scotty? He's acting like he got clobbered or something, but he didn't. All he did was stand there and go, Dr. McCoy, no! <laughs> he didn't do anything. He's sensitive. So he's, <laughs> he's rough and tumble, but he's really a sensitive guy at heart. But, but now, Kirk had turned to... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I can't look at Scotty without thinking of your Uncle Randy, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> no. It's that hairdo, especially the long shots. I just see, it, like, the gut. It's just perfect. I love the effect of when they jump through, too, how they go into slow motion just before they yeah. disappear. This effect here, where Kirk goes, we're completely and totally alone, and he looks up. I never really noticed it before. I was reading something about this today. It might have been in the Star Trek compendium or something. I forget. But it always looked really cool to me because it does, like, this slow pan yeah. And it goes up into the stars, and it always looked very reminiscent of something I knew, and I couldn't place it. And you know what it is? It's almost like the, the beginning of the Twilight Zone yes. would do the same thing. I never really put it together before, but it really does. It looks cool. But Kirk had turned to Spock there a few minutes ago before McCoy jumped into it. It was saying something about could they use the Guardian to go back in time, but what he said is could we take Bones back to before the accident? And I'm thinking, that makes it sound like Kirk doesn't really understand how time travel works. Why the hell would you need to take McCoy back to prevent the accident? You wouldn't. You leave him there, you go back, you fix it. When you get back, he's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, maybe Kirk doesn't quite understand. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love how I love how the Guardian of Forever just shows you like the mo like battles and like you know you you never see just like somebody sitting watching TV, <laughs> you know, somebody on the crapper. Yeah, exactly. On the crapper, reading a magazine, doing a crossword puzzle or something, you know. I would love to get a list. Oh, there was there was a sign that said Abe Lincoln, so it's yep. the first appearance of Abe Lincoln, first mention of Abe Lincoln <laughs> That's in Star true. Trek. It's foreshadowing. I would love to get a list of the movies that they, they used for all the footage of the Guardian in this. I'm sure it's somewhere. 
I'm sure it's somewhere. You you gotta probably assume it belonged to Paramount. You know yeah, those those shower ring uh, earrings, <laughs> shower curtain ring earrings that Ahura has. I don't think those those are Starfleet regulation, are they? <laughs> they must. Did you be, notice I don't... earrings? I'm waiting for it to cut. Oh, good lord. They're quite colorful too. Maybe so. <laughs> it's the future, man. Come on. If you got your if you got your undies poking out of the bottom of your skirt, then you can wear hoop earrings for Christ's sakes. <laughs> you know? No. This is awesome. Hey look, the, one of the boxers is Mike Bailey. Oh no, sorry, it's Will Bailey. And the Guardian cleaned Kirk's pants. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what happens when you travel through time. All that you get your outfits pressed and cleaned. You can always see a lot of times on Kirk's. I, I I've heard that these shirts were oftentimes pinned together. And look around his collar. It's great yeah. with these enhanced editions because you can really see, like you can <laughs> see how his collar is just sort of pinned together. The shirts just sort of. You try that around here, and I'll split your face. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, watching this, I forgot. Like, it's funny. You could tell that that they put a little extra effort into this this one. The the camera oh, yeah. angles, the lighting, especially the interior lighting of this. When when they get into their apartment and stuff, it, it's just beautiful television lighting of this time period. You know, this is outdoors, so it's of course you know they love this because they don't have to light this. I, and you, there's one. We're going to count the number of times cars almost hit somebody <laughs> in this episode. Double dumbass on you! <laughs> I'd like to see him go up there to get those clothes, and Bill Bixby's already up there stealing the clothes ahead of him. It's just funny how many conventions of TV and drama and stuff I picked up from this this episode as a kid. <laughs> like, th there's certain lines of dialogue in here that, that blew my mind as a kid that I thought were the most incredible dialogue. Like when Spock later on mentions that, you know, he's building a blah, blah, blah out of you know, using... <laughs> a and, mnemonic and, memory circuit out of, bear, you know, what is it, stone knives and bears. Bear I still love something that. Like that. Yeah, and, I, and as a little kid, I was like, that is an awesome line. Officer O'Malley, the dumbest cop in the in all of New York City. <laughs> I really, really wish that they had gotten Chief O'Hara from the Batman show. That, that would have been, been awesome, great. just swinging his nightstick in a circle. Okay, boyos. But Kirk is the worst liar in the world. <laughs> he he goes, yeah, yeah. And it was a mechanical rice picker. And they're like, I know you're lying because the music's going. Doop, 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 doop. <laughs> Jimmy boy. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think Here. this scene would work better. For, I, I like it and everything, but I think it would work a lot better for me if he just handed the clothes to Spock and then he just thumped the hell out of the police officer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the guy's exactly. only armed with a nightstick, for Christ's sake. But, but this is just like, what cop is going to let somebody? Here, yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you talking about? Come on. That's that that kind of thing where where people are like trying to distract you and touch you like that. That's the stuff that makes cops like 
knock you unconscious immediately going, what the hell are you doing? Conk. You know, you don't do that, you know. Spock it, must uh, have used the pussy version of the Vulcan uh, death grip there because the, he's already up and, and whistling the whistle already. You mean the, the Vulcan pussy grip? Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, to see the guy with the purple pants? It was, it was, I've never uh, actually seen anybody wearing purple pants. That had was, to be Bill Bixby just strolling was, through the oh, scene. I thought it was a Riddler or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even the, the, I, I mean, as a, as a film student, this, the, the lighting in this shot is, is awesome. Just awesome TV lighting. They've mm -hmm. got it set up so it looks, it's plausibly like light coming in through basement. All right, this, I have to bring up the Harlan Ellison book. This was one thing that probably really pissed him off. In his original script, he said, when Kirk and Spock put on their clothes, please, please, please don't let them fit well. Have them be ill-fitting. <laughs> I hate it when, you know, people knock someone out and take right. their clothes or get clothes in there. He put that in the script saying, please don't do that. They have to be ill-fitting so they look at And look at, of course, Shatner <laughs> is like, Shatner was not going to let them put ill-fitting clothes on him. By by this age and everything, I feel com comfortable enough in my heterosexualness to say that Kirk looks damn good in those clothes. He he really does. <laughs> because he because he went to wardrobe and he made sure that they right. gave, gave him fitted clothes for so he so the thirty forty years later we'd be sitting here looking going man damn Kirk looks damn good in just clothes ripped off up ripped off. From the clothesline, you know. Plus, you and know, and meanwhile, there's like five old ladies like tailoring those to perfect, <laughs> to Shatner's weird little short guy dimensions. Because well, if you look at him, he just know that those were like men's clothes. They could have got up there and it was like two pairs of pants, and then everything else was like for a twelve-year-old girl or like, something. Yeah, it was. Uh, they were like, I don't know. I guess this is what they dressed in, <laughs> in the twentieth century. Oh my God! It's hot, Mary Poppins. She is really attractive, though. This was the this is the short time period where I found where I uh, there's something. Yeah, there's uh, something that I've always found not attractive with Joan Collins, but she works it as Edith Keeler in this one. Yeah, that's yeah. It's funny you say that because I was thinking the same thing as uh, I, I beyond this, I never found her attractive in anything else. I, ne I never found her a good actress either, but right. she pulls this off. I, I always thought, well, she didn't have to do much to pull off Edith Keeler, just be pretty and stuff. But upon watching this uh, uh, a new time, she does a really – really has top nice, job of acting she has a nice like she she's like simple pretty you know what i mean she's not like glamorous pretty or anything plus she just has like a like a likable innocence about her you know a, a just she's pleasant you know what i mean whereas the other roles i've ever seen her in she's typically a stone cold bitch and that's probably a lot of the difference well, right there yeah. you know well and and but there seems to be a genuine little spark like little spark i don't know if there was a romance or or if it was oh, just, between uh, the two of them she she and shatner definitely have a good little rapport like there's there's one scene where they do a little smile at each other and uh 
You know, you could, it's just, oh, yeah. you could see a genuine smile between the two of them. So well, there was she's a never had anything of... but glowing things to say about William Shatner. So I think that it's very possible there was a little something going on there. Very, very possible. Is it wrong of me that that guy right there always reminded me of my uh, Grandpa Gardner? The guy and his, uh, the guy who's talking yeah. to yeah, the, oh. Kirk's gonna tell to shut up in a minute. No, he's hilarious. That that's a pretty. He's starting to do a. He's starting a really rude joke. Is is I was just like, wow, that's a that's a really uh, risque joke that the guy's leading up to when Kirk tells him to shut up. <laughs> the other three guys at that table look like the cowboys from Back to the Future Three <laughs> that are in the bar. You better run, squirrel. <laughs> Must have gotten that shirt off on a dead Chinese. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they just have a room full of stock old character actors like this, old bum character actors going grab, 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 and eating there. <laughs> and I love the look he gives Kirk. He goes, ah, see? Now, one thing I really, really like about this that I don't think I ever caught as a kid was that the whole philosophy of, of Star Trek and, and basically Gene Roddenberry's entire philosophy is quietly laid out in the background of this episode. You're not beat over the head with it. I don't feel like I'm being preached at, but it comes up several times. I mean, this speech is only a small part of it, but it also comes up in the dialogue between Kirk and Edith. And I think this is why he falls for her, because he's finally met a woman that he can see that they they connect. You know what I mean? She's, well, they, the, she says several thing. times, like, we think alike. You know, right. I can tell you think like me. You know, I could tell where we are, you know. we. Un he, he, she could tell that he understands what she's saying. Everybody else just looks at her and goes, well, whatever, ditzy broad, you know. Right. You know. Everybody else is focused on their little lives or the problems of the world or whatever where he's – you know, he sees what she's well, talking about. Yeah, that he knows she's exactly right. She's the right on the right better. on the yeah. button. Yeah, and well, uh, I love that. The, was it? Uh -huh. Yeah, we'll we'll have I'll have plenty to say about that in the in the next part. That figures deeply into uh, one thing I noticed about this that I didn't that uh, um, notice originally as a kid is you know she's running her mission and stuff and usually. The scene where they come out and they go, oh, God, now we got to listen to her. Usually they, they would get like a religious. That was usually what it was. Right. It would be a church mission and you'd have to listen to a, to a um, sermon what, during dinner. And that was your the price you paid. But I noticed she gave a very secular talk, which is very Star Trek, very Gene Roddenberry, too. Mm -hmm. You know, and I mean, this place is a mission. It's it says mission on it and. So you it, you would think it would be based, and she seems almost like she would be a church lady, but she's not. Well, she's really. billed as Sister um, right Edith Sister. Keeler in the credits right, at the end right. of the episode. It says Sister Edith Keeler. So yeah, I, I wonder if that's a changed premise somewhere, you know, in the production phase. But even as even if she's religious, she's not very she's not judgmental religious, right? Because she's. Basically, like a lot of people are basically doing either not illegal, but shifty stuff around her. You know, Kirk and Spock are obviously up to up to something. She doesn't know if it's she doesn't know if it's good or bad. She saw him caught, you know, met him stealing. That was how she first met him 
they were stealing and trespassing and they're and they're you know completely vague with her and stuff and she puts up with a lot of it you know she's sort of nonplussed by of course during the depression there's probably a lot of that going around you know uh, theft and uh, um, you know general people having to be a little bit slimy to to get by but yeah she seems very 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 progressive for a religious lady of 1930 <laughs> something in, in, in New York City I like the interplay again, between uh, Kirk and Spock in this and the fact that Spock can really get on Kirk's nerves and a lot of times Spock seems like he's completely oblivious to the fact that he's getting on Kirk's nerves well, yeah, he's like he's kind of like the the Asperger's syndrome guy, you know, who's working on his project in the house, and you know, would you Kirk's not like, hold that salami at me quite that way, please, Captain? I mean, I mean, how suspicious is this that Kirk rushes to the door and like blocks her off, right? While Spock like leaps into the corner and throws his hat on. It's just like, but the lighting in this room is awesome too. All the interior lighting and the classic Star Trek. You know, uh, light right on the on the lady's face all the time, so it glows with a heavenly aura. It's just always I, I've always I always think that I, they don't really do much stuff like that anymore with shows. Give them little stylistic. And, and don't you get the idea that they've been here weeks, right? Weeks oh, yeah. Weeks? Yeah. Don't you think they'd get some new clothes by now? That's a good point. I hadn't thought of that before, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, because like I think on. Kirk said that, that gro he said something about the groceries about this was like a week's worth of mm -hmm. pay or two weeks mm -hmm. worth or something to that effect. So, yeah, they have been there a while. Dun, dun, dun. Every time I hear that cue, I know it's just like two, two. <laughs> See, she changes her clothes all the time. He must well, be ripe. I know that's what I'm saying. And th this is—I always wonder how we got from them stealing the stuff to her knowing that they stole it. Kirk told him. Oh, uh, you mean uh, the 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 they, watch they making steal, tools? They steal the tools, and then the next shot is a sort of weird jump cut of her coming down, right. going, "All right, you know, I know you guys stole that. You got through all that. I knew it was you." How, you know? I wonder if she saw them. Yeah, but uh, however it is, it, it's almost like they cut something out, you know, for right. time or something that we didn't, we didn't. And most people, if if some if if. Like Spock said, oh, I'm going to get him back to him in the morning. And then and then someone said, hey, if Mr. Spock says that, that's what's going to happen. Most of the time, most people would be like, oh, yeah, well, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> She's got the hots for him. Mm -hmm. The hot pants for Jim Kirk. Mm -hmm. He's standing around with his shirt unbuttoned to his uh, navel there, so... <laughs> See that grin? That 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 was a nice little grin between the two of them. I really like that scene, where she she calls him captain without ever hearing him referred to as captain. But then, <laughs> but then you know later on she's like, "Why do you call him captain? Did you you know?" And it's like, "Well, he you've never actually heard him call her 
captain. And that's a weird, the weird random shot of the radio repair store, just like <laughs> held for a, a long time. It's weird. It's almost like it was. I was always thinking they were setting it up that they were gonna break in there though to get parts for their right, their tricorder or something. Why they? And there, and there you get that. There now they're walking by it, but. You I really know, like that part though, where you know she's she's trying to place them, and she says, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that they don't belong there. And Spock asks her, you know, well, where do you think we do belong? And and she, she nails Spock right away. She says, "You by his side," you know, as if you've always been there and always will. I I just there's something about that scene I've always really really liked. Yeah, it's great writing. It is, is what it is. But um. Um, you know, Kirk, you know, talking in the in the past tense about things happening in the hundreds years in the future right. should have been a tip off. But you know, she thinks he's just being, you know, romantic. And I love See, it. I think the one lone a... stock shot of New York City, <laughs> of real New York City. I think there was a there might have been something cut out there where they were intended to kiss, or maybe it was supposed to lead us to to think that they were going to kiss in that part. Beautiful use of the music in this. Yeah, this this was this was really intense for me when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, it's still intense for me now. I was watching this earlier, and uh, Scotty's home from school today. He's sick, and so he was watching it with me. And there was a lot of parts of this where I was sitting there getting like teary eyed and tried to fake it. You know, I didn't want to sit there and. <laughs> Have him catch the old man balling watching Star Trek, you know. But there's a lot of there's a lot of emotion in this episode. There really is. This one this one tugs at the heartstrings for me. So I feel bad for Kirk in this one. Well, they're very. I mean, they they really have to. I mean, um, sell the whole Kirk falling in love in a short amount of time. Right. A lot happens in this. This they really like cram a lot of stuff into this episode into the 40 some minutes yes. that you know that that it takes to tell this story they get a lot of you know they get a whole sub you know the whole plot on the planet and and uh that's new M mccoy's story that shot of the of the screen just before the fire broke out right there that was new for where the it goes all kind version. of matrixy yeah see you're right and that's even even from being a kid, that was one of the things I liked about this episode and one of the, the reasons I think it is a, a, a truly standout episode of the series is it moves, man. I mean, it really moves. It, like you say, it, it gets enough in here that this could be a two-hour movie. Yes. You know, condensed into a 50-minute episode. It really moves. But it never feels rushed either, and I like that. It gives you exactly what you need to tell the story, and and there's not a whole lot of room for fluff. Mm -mm. But it still throws in a lot of. I mean, you've got your general story, then you've got just little touches off to the side of mm -hmm. you know, that 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 where they had fun with the you know the location and time and it being the 30s and the depression where they could have, you know, colorful bums being colorful and and evaporating themselves, vaporizing themselves. 
Kirk's Our really trying too hard with that cowlick, though. I like uh, how his voice kind of catches when he says the word die. He goes, depending on whether she lives or dies. And he kind of just gets hung up on that word. I like that part. See, I think Kurt, uh, Shatner takes way too much crap about his acting style and everything. I think he really is a, an extraordinary actor, and I think this is one of the episodes where he really proves that. Well, the fact that everybody knows his tics and mannerisms is a testament to what a great actor he is. Otherwise, he would just be, you know, there's a lot of just sort of like, hey, cheesy lead guy actors out there, like your Robert Culp's or, you know, stuff like that who would be in in TV shows and stuff. But Kirk is, you know, Shatner's stood the test of time is, and, uh, you know, and, 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 you notice most of the people who like make fun of the or can do impressions of Shatner prior are doing it because they've watched eight million episodes of Star Trek right. over and over again. So, you know, yeah, this is one of those. This is one of the times where he, you know, <laughs> sorry, <laughs> it's it's back to the fun. I cannot tell you the number Cook of times McCoy. that I'd be out with Randy somewhere in the middle of the friggin' night in some quiet little hamlet like Black River where it's like 4 o'clock in the morning and he would just start doing this. <laughs> Murderers! <laughs> assassins! You. He, used to do, he used to do this, too. He'd chase you sometimes. He'd go, don't! Yeah, yeah. No! Don't run! <laughs> don't run! I won't kill you! <laughs> I love that line. Don't run. I won't kill you. I, I'm going to use that more often. <laughs> that should be just how I greet everybody from now on. Now that guy that McCoy is chasing, he's the same guy that we saw in um, a piece of the action, the one that got beamed in, and then he goes, Mother, or something like that, remember? Oh, that's right. Pursuit? Yeah, it's the same guy. Yeah, one of the same, that, that crowd of, of character actors. And I'm just going to apologize to everybody. I don't know if you're hearing it, Scott, but somebody's persistently trying to call me, and I can't turn off the sound uh, of my Skype. So every once in a while, you guys will hear a bloop, bloop. That's don't worry, I'm, dog was I'm hanging up on him. A little while ago, and that probably made it into the episode. I hate that, too. Dogs barking in episodes makes me nuts. So when it's my dog, it's See, I enjoy it. Much, uh, I, I hate that. It's so unprofessional. I'm a pet lover, and I, I don't, I, I, I don't, you know, well, well, as soon as we start getting paid, then I'll worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> I love hearing people's pets Hey, hey, we got paid it for this one. We got paid for this one. Well, I mean, yeah, pro profit paid, but, but, but when the food, on, when my roof and food on the table is, is <laughs> podcast money, then, then, then I'll shoot the dog. But until then. <laughs> Uh, what McCoy lingers a little bit too much on that guy, like feels, <laughs> <His> midsection. <laughs> I love feeling. Randy so used to dead. do this too, where he'd grab your cranium and be just like, development. "Yeah, I know." <laughs> <laughs> There's something just creepy about somebody grabbing the back of your head like <laughs> like a basketball, especially some bum <laughs> in the 30s. I mean, he's got to have just a, a you know a lovely stuff going and on I'm, his scalp, I'm, you know. And I mean, look, he didn't get he didn't get the clean treat the dry clean treatment when he went through the Guardian. Look at that scurf on his McCoy shirt. He's got like he's got like <laughs> and he ugly, wasn't impressed when he came, when he came. No, he's got like that that nasty like sweat stains and stuff. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is some really good acting, though. It here. is. I never it noticed probably... his pinky ring until this episode, too. Sew him up like garments. That's a great line. <laughs> like his quivering lip. <laughs> Ed Norton? It's a little hashy. <laughs> Hessian. Hessian. It's an electric shaver. It's a fancy heater. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take this to Krakow. What does this? I love this. Do? Yeah, I know. Should I put it in my mouth? It is. It's like it's like a monkey playing with a with a shotgun. Uh -huh. Oh, the sun's coming up. <laughs> that freaked me out as a kid. That was just like, oh shit. Now this shot See, of the outside of the. See, they get back to the Enterprise the... at the end of the episode, and everybody's monkeys or something. That's what should have happened. The shot of the outside of their boarding house looks exactly like the Led Zeppelin physical graffiti <laughs> album cover. I'm wondering if it's the same hotel in New York City or something. You know, if it's some famous, like, hotel or boarding house in New York City that they use. Because it's, like, almost the same colors and everything. I love how their computer keeps getting bigger and bigger <laughs> yeah. and spreading out around the apartment. That's great. That's really how it would how it be it would would be. It's kind of cool. <laughs> Looking at him like, who is this scurvy freak? <laughs> <laughs> There's a dude with the purple pants again. Yeah, I know. Just <laughs> look like John Cleese walking by there. Yeah. He should have been doing a funny walk. <laughs> the, the silly walk. That patchy Murderers! face is just... Fans. You should have clubbed somebody with that chair. I always like that, where Spock walks in and just the moment she takes McCoy out of the room. And I, well, I love little ironic things like that. Well, it starts getting that feel of a uh, timepiece, you know, time and fate all... Coalescing. Uh, yeah. Coalescing, everything just... And right now, everything's just a little bit out of sync. You know, and it and it's it's about to sync up. You know. Oh, I forgot to mention there was another almost hit. There was another part earlier where Kirk was out walking, or no, maybe it maybe it's coming up. But there's another scene where Kirk like pulls her out from in front of a car. Right. It's very very strange. And with this lighting, you can also see a little bit of the green to, to Spock. Yeah, I'm noticing watching this, because earlier we watched this in the living room. I'm now watching it on the computer. Spock looks very, down. very green to me, whereas on TV, he didn't really. Because when the, yeah, when the picture's condensed, dense, because it's just subtle. It's like they put a green gel on a light. Right. The, the light that's on, on Spock or something. And yeah, the, the, the interior, I can't say enough about the the interior lighting and the color 
of this. They they just got it to look and feel differently. It's very television lighting. Yeah. And, and but it it really makes it feel like that time period and they're they're making it feel like the thirties with just the barest use of sets and uh and sound stages or not sound stages but back lots look at all the stuff sets. behind kirk right there where it looks like that's the like, stuff that spock galvanized all the parts from i don't think i've ever yeah, really noticed that before it's like a pile of radios that he's just gutted and thrown the shells of them over in the corner <laughs> i love that yeah <gasps> dun 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 See, nobody does that anymore. Wheel the camera right up into someone's face. They just zoom these days. This is some nice... Oh, this is some really nice acting in this part. In this mm -hmm. part and when he finally like comes comes out of it. Your face is glowing. You can see your panty lines in the enhanced version. I like that. The enhanced version. <laughs> See, McCoy's got smoker's teeth, too. <laughs> he's got zombie face is what he's got. <laughs> I know. But you could tell, uh, and now I totally see him and, in, in, you know, Leonard Nimoy enjoying a butt between scenes, you know. <laughs> That's different, though, than than um, George Takai enjoying a butt between scenes. Oh, <laughs> zing! Zing! I think Shatner enjoyed her butt between scenes. <laughs> yeah, there was lots of butt, butt enjoying being happening on Star Trek back in the day. I'm a surgeon. Could you blame him? Does that, you know, you can't blame him. She's cute. She really is. I think though, Mar I think Shatner was married and had like two kids at <laughs> during this time though. So yeah, but either way. Yeah, I'm just going to rest my eyes for a little while. <laughs> Yeah, none of this is real. <laughs> I know he should he should puke at least once in this scene. <laughs> he reaches up and grabs her ass as she turns to walk away. She's <laughs> got a nasty habit of just bringing strange men home. I know, and just yeah, just completely trusting them. Not just strange men, but really strange. <laughs> really men strange alien acting, men, th yes. That are acting, yeah, that are acting very suspiciously. Who ya? That's a great scene, though. That it's. I mean, he's saying nothing. He's not really doing much anything, but just a great look on his face. And he's just thinking, I might have bought myself a few more moments, or I might have I like just where he destroyed. Like he comes the... walking down, leaning on the wall like that, just yeah. I might have, I might have, I might have just like destroyed the Enterprise for a kiss, <laughs> basically right there. Which also gives this also gives the impression that no matter what, fate is just trying to kill Edith Keeler, you know. Mm-hmm. The, 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 it's just in the basically it seems like if if 
she was gonna live, probably it would have had to have been McCoy that saved her. Because Kurt's he's done it once so far. I like Spock in a big green felt jacket. There's something about that fits that perfectly. <laughs> well, he probably bought that. Yeah, but why buy expensively? I like how he's just sort of like, yeah, yeah, paper. But <laughs> dude, if I was in, a, if I was like travel through time and someone handed me a newspaper it'd be like whoa let's see this <laughs> you know that it would be like fascinating <laughs> especially if it was a newspaper from 300 years in the past you know let me go over in a bank account make sure i got a good interest rate yeah here we go but he thinks he's hallucinating right now he's thinking okay well i'm hallucinating but at least there's a hot chicken here mm-hmm. I'm, I'm enjoying that because you can tell he's starting to warm up to her too and she's also not entirely not interested either. The little vixen. <laughs> she looks very young. In that oh, in she, this scene she does anyway. I'm wondering I wonder how old 20s. she actually was at the time. I'm betting like around twenty five, twenty six. Maybe somewhere around there, twenty eight maybe at the oldest. I'm thinking that they actually like did her hair and stuff to and dressed her to make her look a little bit older. Now I think he grabs her, oh, grabs her out from in front of a car here too. Yeah. See. Yeah. So there's twice that Kirk has willingly destroyed the universe. <laughs> Just so, just so he could be with his lady. Yeah, this, this, this part, for, you know, I mean, there's been a million things like this where, like, the fate plays out, you know, every, right. every little line of dialogue and every little motion in this is like, you know, doom, 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 fate playing out. Oh, just the look on Shatner's face gets me every time. Well, the way he even uses his whole body in hunched pain. Get off me. <laughs> and then he, the way he squeezes his fist right there. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a great piece of acting. I really, yeah, it, it hits me hard every time I watch this. Now here's what did they change back into their clothes to come <laughs> back through? And this is all laundered and everything too. Mm -hmm. Herc's not happy. <laughs> Now, Let I've a heard... smile be your umbrella. 
I've heard that this line here where he says, let's get the hell out of here, that this is the first time this was set on TV. Is that really true? I think so. It might have been... It was either that or it might have been the only, like, quote-unquote curse word on Star Trek. Oh, okay. But, yeah, it was... That was... Yeah, that was a pretty... You know, they. I, I think they got away with it. And this is something that's interesting, too, written by Harlan Ellison. I, I thought that they had a different... I thought they had story by Harlan Ellison before, was how it was presented before. Maybe it's changed for this, this edition of it. That is a powerful episode. Mm-hmm. It really is. Well? Now I just want to see what... Uh... What it's picture? I can't remember. Does this one end with? Uh, <laughs> I don't. With, think, I can't remember. I don't think so. I don't. You know, now that I mentioned, now that you mentioned it, I don't think I watched it through the. Yeah, I don't think I did either. I think I cut it off as soon as it was. So, so we got to see it's, now. It's all. Oh, there's the Gorn. Never mind. I was gonna say it's all city on the edge of forever. No, but I mean, yeah, there was a Gorn. Went... <laughs> yeah, I said there's a, there's a Gorn. There's some just random, map painting set. Playground. Uh, the oh, it's lady. Vina. Yeah. Okay. But um, I never liked the ones with Vina as much as the ones with. Uh, is it Baylock or Blaylock? I always get that confused. Because there's Baylock, the alien, and then what's her name, Janine or whatever, Blaylock from Enterprise. I think. I think that's how it is. But I always get the two confused. I can't. I don't know. Anyway. <clears throat> well, this, the, I mean, this one, I think it was the Hugo Award. Yes, it won the uh, 1968 International Hugo Award. Yeah, I had a note on that as well. That was for the TV show. Right. But the script of it wrote won the Writers Guild of America mm-hmm. Award for Best Teleplay that year. So in so both versions of the, like the original Harlan Ellison version of it and the, the aired version, both won big awards for being awesome and now i can finally talk about all the differences <laughs> between the and and i i i have to say i don't know if we mentioned this on air when we were talking earlier before but you said something to me about how you really liked harlan ellison and stuff but you really liked how this episode ended up you know, I like it the way it stands. The way and everything it, the way it stands. You know, I I haven't read the book that you're you know that you're referencing, or, or and I have never read the original screenplay or anything like that. But everything I've ever heard about it leads me to believe that it would be a very very different episode, and I don't think I would like it mm-hmm. as much. Whether it would still be as good or you know even better or just different, you know, I don't I don't know, but. Here's the thing. I agree with you. I, I, I like how I like it as it stands. I'm usually the kind of guy who's like, hey, you know, when you have a genius like Harlan Ellison, don't fuck with his vision, you know? Right. I'm usually you, usually of that opinion. But in this case, a lot of the really good dialogue in this and a lot of the really good moments in this are different, are, are, are were something that were added. And there were a lot of other writers who had who put some work I mean uh, DC Fontana mm-hmm. did some rewriting on this and and at the end of the book there's a whole list of a lot of the the writers who worked on it you know sort of pipe in and a lot of the actors and stuff from the show Peter David even pipes in on the whole the whole controversy of it but I th- the, the 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 gist of the book 
that I read that Harlan Ellison wasn't so much pissed off that they changed his script. It was how Gene Roddenberry described the early versions of the script that didn't make it onto TV. Because Gene Roddenberry, like, was would describe it as well Harlan Ellison you know we got the script and Harlan Ellison had Scotty dealing drugs you know and you know that just doesn't work for Star Trek and uh you know we had to change that and and basically it was just crazy Harlan had Scotty selling drugs to push a you know social message an anti-drug social message or something like that and the fact of the matter was in the original script Scotty never sold any. Scotty wasn't even in it. There was a there was a guy. There was a character who was s- sort of selling drugs, but it was different. He was sort of getting people hooked on drugs in order to exploit them. So it was it was di- you know it was different. And Harlan Ellison would call up Gene Roddenberry every time that he would say that and say, "Can you please stop saying that Scotty was dealing drugs? That's wrong." And, and Gene Roddenberry would go. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I totally got that wrong. And then he just did it for 25 years, <laughs> sending Harlan Ellison into a frothing, frothing fury. And what was really okay? So I guess maybe to start it all out, maybe I should discuss the big differences in in the Harlan Ellison script and and the show we just saw. Mm-hmm. Although basically. The basic gist of everything, the basic soul of the story would have been the same. It just wouldn't have had the McCoy element of it. It had another character sort of as the character of McCoy. The drug dealer character was sort of the McCoy of the whole thing. And uh, there's there's like three versions of it here. But the one that won the award, it starts out with um, these two guys. And one guy selling him these things called... Uh, the singing, they're singing crystals, and they're these sort of blobby, jelly-like, glowing crystals that when you eat them, you know you hear some sort of music. That's you know, it's basically you know uh, uh, an analogy for taking you know hard drugs, right? But you know, you take one of them and you're hopelessly addicted. And what this guy's been doing is he's got. Uh, uh, either a transporter engineer or some guy basically, you know, hooked on these things and he's using that guy to let him get down onto, go down onto the planets when they ha- when they go to a new planet and the guy goes down and trades these drugs for stuff on the planet and has been keeping it to sell late- later, you know, he's just sort of, just sort of profiteering off, off this and, um, so the guy who's on the drugs goes up onto the bridge when they're and they and it's sort of like in this or they're experiencing the time distortion and he zones out. He zones out to where he doesn't even know where he is and what's going on and Spock is like, "What the hell are you doing? You know, pay attention. You're on the bridge. Are you okay? Do you need to go to sick bay?" And he decides, "I'm done with these drugs. I'm going to turn and he goes down and tells the guy, "I'm turning you in." You know, I'm I I'm done with this. I'm and I'm turning you in. And the guy's like, no, no, fuck you, and kills him. And get and you know, and then it's like they chase him, and he he gets his way. He shoots his way into um, the transporter room and transports down onto the onto the planet. So they go down after him, 
and they're tracking him. And, you know, Harlan Ellison, basically, a lot of the stuff that got switched, they got switched because Harlan Ellison was like, they beam down onto a planet, and then they see, you know, way off in the distance, a gigantic city, you know, and they walk for hours till they get to the city. And the Guardians, and there was the Guardians of Forever that they finally meet. And they're these big sort of, you know, like 20-foot-tall semi-stone guys. Yeah. You know, with big beards. And, and, you know, know, like their mouths only moved. And, you know, and it's basically the same story from there where, you know, that guy sees his chance and escapes through the, the portal. And then they go back and they determine that he, even though this guy's a crazed asshole, he's going to save Edith Keeler, you know, say, you know, destroy, destroy the universe. But what happens what, in this one, in Harlan Ellison's is when he jumps through, they go back up to the Enterprise, but the Enterprise is like a pirate ship uh. with all this a different crew of life. And it's all fucked up and, you know, like a pirate ship. It's all dirty, like a Klingon ship, you know, that you would see in the future, you know. And and they get locked in the transporter room, and they have um, Janice Rand and Uhura fending off, fight like fighting off with phasers the pirates while they're down trying to fix time. And uh, so the the Edith Keeler story is pretty much the same. You know, the the whole story in the '30s is pretty much as it stands without McCoy. And uh, pretty much close to the same dialogue. And at the end, when they, when they, you know, when Edith is killed and they bring the guy back through the guardian, he tries to jump through again. He breaks off and jumps back into the guardian, but he jumps back in to when the guardian's showing the sun forming. And then the guardian, just to be a dick, puts the guy on a loop. So the guy keeps appearing in the sun and burning up and then popping back in time. So he's just sort of in hell forever, literally just sort of. And in one of the early, in the earliest version, they catch the guy, they catch the guy, they catch the guy after he kills the guy on the enterprise and they're taking him down to the planet to execute him. And I was reading that, and I'm like, "Oh, there's no way <laughs> that that Kirk and crew, that Roddenberry's gonna yeah, let Kirk, Kirk and crew carry out an execution yeah. on the planet, you know, even for a murder. You don't, you, you can't, yeah, not, you know. Yeah, so see, that, it's that some of those elements that made me wonder did well. That did, was in the first treatment of it. That was in the yeah. first like three page thing, and then Roddenberry was like, "No, we don't do executions," and so then it was gone. The next one, but it's funny seeing that evolution and. And, you know, the, the, the giant guardians kept getting small. They kept telling him, you go, you know, you got to shave more stuff off because you got to, you know, he had big crowd scenes and stuff of like 30 or 40 extras. And they kept, you know, shaving down everything into a lower and lower budget, which is TV, you know. And you could tell he sort of grudgingly went along with that, you know. But what the gist of this book is, is he's pissed off at Roddenberry for saying, you know, Harlan Ellison wrote a show that we couldn't make, it was too expensive, and he had Scotty dealing drugs. When, in fact, when you read the script, that's not true. It might have been a little expensive, more expensive than what they made to make, but he adjusted it down. You know, he you could see in each rewrite, 
that he was taking the crowd scenes down or jiggering something a little different so that you could do it without having it happen outside with cars going by and stuff. And um, um, he was mostly upset. He would a lot. He liked the character. He liked the two characters, the guy who was drug addicted and the drug dealer. He liked that, you know, that there were he liked that there were bad people in Star Trek universe. And he goes off a lot about how Gene Roddenberry wanted everybody to be perfect and squeaky clean, you know, that nobody had any personal problems with each other. And, you know, nobody did it. You know, there, there wouldn't be a drug dealer on the Enterprise because humanity had gone beyond you know being being evil to each other and Harlan Ellison doesn't buy, doesn't buy that at all. I don't buy that at all either. But upon watching this and and a, a lot of the the best lines of dialogue and best moments on it were stuff that somebody else added on to it. I uh, uh, you know, I have to say um but um it's really interesting. It's really interesting to hear Harlan Ellison's perspective on Gene Roddenberry because he's one of those people who seems to be of the opinion that Roddenberry was kind of holding Star Trek back. And oh, here's another major difference: is Edith Keeler's speech was way less a spelling out of the Roddenberry. You see, Harlan Ellison said exactly what you said, Scott. He said, you know, her speech became you know his philosophy you know his 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 you know view of what the universe would be then or what he wanted it to be and and he didn't harlan ellison wanted her to be progressive but not like there'll be men flying from planet to planet and you know we will get rid of prejudice and and all that he didn't want it to be that he he you know he was he was very upset he he basically he says you know Roddenberry's one of those people who will have everybody do all the work and then he stamps his name on it and puts his mark on it at the end and uh I'd just like to say that's true but that's what TV producers do he's a TV producer <laughs> and he was a very successful TV producer so that's what you do you sort of take over stuff and get make sure you get your name on it and and with Harlan Ellison that stuff rankles him <laughs> and the first 50 pages of this book is an un, just unchecked rant. Ranting and raving and, you know, I don't want to speak ill of the dead with Gene Roddenberry, but <laughs> right, this is what I have to say. And uh, while it doesn't tarnish Gene Roddenberry, it's, it's also good to read this stuff, to get a little perspective on it, on someone who's like, look, this guy was not the genius, you know, mastermind of Star Trek that everybody um, pictures him to be, you know. He was he was a really smart guy, and he was, you know, but he, he was also not, you know, completely driven by, like, this humanistic urge that that a lot of people picture him as, you know, he was a, he was a, a businessman, and he was a very savvy businessman. He wasn't like, I'm going to create a utopian world or anything. He was about, I'm going to make Gene Roddenberry rich and make sure that Gene Roddenberry's name is always associated with Star Trek, which it should be. <laughs> right. So, But it was it, it's really funny. Har Harlan Ellison told a, a really funny story about William Shatner it's it's funny he doesn't doesn't seem to get along with Shatner but he gets along with Nimoy a little bit 
and uh, gets along with uh, Walter Koenig really well. They're they're really good buddies. But when when he first was meeting all the Star Trek people, Shatner was like, "Hey, can I come over to your your place and read the script?" And Shatner rode up on a motorcycle, and like read the script and Harlan Ellison realized that Shatner was going through with a pencil and counting how many lines he had and be like, do you think I could get some more lines? <laughs> and uh, Shatner told this whole story about the whole incident that's completely different that makes Shatner sound like really cool. And it's, it's really funny. He's like, no, basically he came over to my house to find out how many lines he had in the episode to make sure he had enough lines and with the stories that have come out in the years since then I have to assume that that's true because it, it sounds like Shatner does that he he breaks his scripts down into you know numbers number number of lines who's who's got the more you know what do you mean Spock's got more lines than me I'm the captain so that was that was very funny to me I don't know I mean you know, I, I've read a lot of, uh, of his stories, you know, Harlan Ellison's stories over the years, and I, I respect him. I respect his work. But the guy himself, everything I've ever seen him in, when he opens his mouth, <laughs> he just comes across as the most pretentious asshole that, I've that's, ever listened that's to. What endears him to. That's what endears him to me, because See, yeah, it, I hate pretentious assholes, too. I hate them. But... There is a certain breed of pretentious asshole that can back it up with their, you know, but I mean, a lot of a lot of this pretentious ass stuff. Like, I don't like it when his writing gets pretentious, but when he's like ranting and raving and frothing at the mouth and being a real bastard, it cracks me up because a lot of it's the pain. He says a lot of things that a lot of people won't say, you know, right? And you have to put up with that. You have to put. I mean. It must be like his wife must embody, you know, define the the words long suffering. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It must be tough to be his wife and and stuff like that. But I love to go to YouTube and watch, you know, videos of him ranting and raving and being cause, and and I mean, half the stuff he says, I totally disagree with when you get start getting into like copyright stuff and file sharing and stuff like that. You, you and I would have big problems, you know, and he would have big problems with us, too, with about about those issues. But when I hear his points, he makes good points on it, but it hurts <laughs> to hear it, you know. <laughs> but at the same at the same time, you know, I respect that. I respect somebody who's just willing to not censor their, you know, the the fact that he is a pretentious little bastard you know he's a he's a super intelligent pretentious smart ass asshole and he sort of embraced it you know he's sort of like all right well i'll live with my wife alone in my house and the few people who can put up with me for and you know i'll hang around with them and and i'll go out in public every once in a while and get everybody pissed off because when i open my mouth and yeah i just love but if it was if it was a different person i'd want to club them to death like a baby seal that reminds me, I got some baby seals. I got a club. <laughs> See, that's kind of the, the thing with done. him is that, yeah, that that's every time I listen to him, that's what I walk away going. God, that he's just somebody I'd just love to beat the shit out of, because he he's just he's incredibly annoying. 
in that smug, smarmy. Smug, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Smug is smug is a, is is definitely a, a, a key word when you're talking <laughs> about Harlan Ellison. But well, yeah, this... smug, pretentious. But uh, goddamn, man, he uh, he really uh, did a good job on the new Twilight Zone. You know, it was <laughs> authentic and like his his stories. He's written some just. Uh, he wrote the best episode of Star Trek and. I just love reading his books, especially, especially his books that are sheer nonfiction. Um, there was one I got at Dragon Con that was just, you know, a collection of his movie criticism, and it was awesome. There were a lot of, yeah, you know, especially, and a lot of the stuff he had to say about the Star Trek movies. But that's what I loved about it is that was his, during the first season of Star Trek, he already al- got alienated from Star Trek and and Gene Roddenberry or you know he alienated himself to where he was like fuck those guys but you know they called him back for the motion picture to try to get some advice from him and you know he continued on talking about the Star Trek franchise and the movies and stuff and I thought he was very fair about it you know he didn't just automatically start trashing stuff because of his you know bad feelings towards Roddenberry and stuff he looked at the movies very very ob- objectively for him, you know, there's still strong opinions on it, but, uh, you know, I mean, I like, I really disagreed with a lot of what he said about the motion picture, but then again, he's right with us on star Trek three, you know? So hmm. I, I, I just, I, 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 I love people like that or I hate him, <laughs> but he's one of the ones that I love of the love them or hate him's. <laughs> and I totally understand the people who hate Harlan Ellison. <laughs> I don't I to- hate him. I just I I'm not a fan. I guess is the biggest thing for me. Uh, it's that I I, you know, I, I totally re- understand the people who hate him. <laughs> I, I <laughs> Even if you don't. This body of work. I just uh, you know, like I say, every time I've ever seen him speak, it, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like God, I, I just can't stand this guy. So yeah, but. uh well, this episode took a dark turn that I did not foresee. Um, it's because we're talking about Harlan Ellison. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, it's never a nice, light conversation about Harlan Ellison, I guess. I wanted to talk a little bit more about uh, kind of the, the, I guess you would say, like the legacy of this episode as far as some things, you know, the elements of it and stuff like that. But uh I say let's take a quick break first because I don't know about you, but I've got a full bladder at this point and wouldn't mind grabbing a snack. So why don't we do that? We can play a promo or two and come back and uh, and wrap the episode up. Does that work? Okay. Sounds good to me. All right. We'll be right back. <laughs> hey, kids. Comics. Hey, Michael. Yes? We have to record a promo for our podcast. I've got one. Read our podcast. Read our podcast. You do know this is an audio medium. Watch our podcast. But you can watch podcasts, but not ours, because let's face it, we've got faces for radio. Uh, no, wait, I've got it. Give me a second, right? What? Just listen to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Snap it. It's short, sweet. I'm liking it. It's good. It's great. Not exactly telling people what our podcast is about, though, is it? We read comics. We read comics. That's true. That's good. Liking it. Liking this pitch. Carry on. Right. Talk about comics. We do. We talk about comics. We read comics, and then we talk about them because we can't talk about them before we read them. Excellent. Keep going. And then we sing. Badly. Yes, we 
Yes, well, badly is purely subjective, but how many other comic book podcasts do you know where people sing? Ages Comics! Every Thursday at aplayland.podomatic.com Why, hello there, lovely ladies. May I just say that you look quite beautiful in your matching Slave Leia metal bikinis? You have permission to come aboard my den of nerd erotica. Some people would call it my mom's garage. I call it 10.1 forward. Can I interest you in a death stick? Nope. I was just kidding. Have a shot of trying. Once you get loosened up, we can play a friendly game of strip fizzbin. Let me loosen that strap. Hey suckers, Maury Clawhammer here, okay? You want your freaking Star Wars? I got your Star Wars right here! What about the Star Trek? You like that shit too, right? Right? That's what I thought. Well, we got that and we got more freaking comics than you can read in your entire miserable goddamn life. Hey, there's even a girl who talks about unicorns and goddamn Harry Potter and M... 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 Them goddamn Oriental cartoons with the big eyes. So you get your ass over to the Two True Freaks podcast at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. That's spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, all right? All right? Good. You can get there on the internet and choose from hundreds of quality Two True Freaks podcasts. And would it kill you to buy a goddamn t-shirt? Remember, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks, Two True Freaks. Whoa, we're back. <laughs> How do you like that? <laughs> oh, wow, wow. Just sort of that's, like that's I like, came flying into the room. <laughs> hey, hey, like you're about to tip over in your chair. <laughs> Not in this new chair. This new chair is pretty solid to the ground. But um, yeah, so I, I guess we'll sort of uh, finish up our thoughts here on um, City on the Edge of Forever. Well, I wanted and, to pose a question. To you and uh, and to the listening audience in regards to this episode, because I thought I've thought a lot about this over the years, and I and I, I've kind of come to several different uh, conclusions myself. But basically, it comes down to this: Did Edith Keeler have to die? I mean, I know within the context of the story. Spock lays it out that there's basically two choices, you know, that she has to die the way that she was, you know, originally fated to die, you know, so that the timeline can continue the way that it always had. Or, you know, she could be saved and, you know, it's going to muck everything up and and Hitler's going to conquer the world and millions of people that, you know, didn't die before would die. I'm thinking, you know, you're dealing with time travel here. There are other options, you know, there, there are other factors at play and, and other things that, you know, could be done, you know, as we would see years and years later in Star Trek for the voyage home. I mean, Kirk actually plucks a woman out of time and, and takes him with her, you know, could not have something similar have been done with, with Edith Keeler or, you know, conversely couldn't. Kirk have have decided to stay with her. Now, granted, you know, that places him as a man out of time, you know, in the 30s. And God only knows what, you know, what direction all that could play out to. That could have dire consequences as well. But at the very least, you know, literally just pluck her right out of time. You know, declare his love for her and that whole thing and, and try to gain her trust and, 
maybe even just lay the situation out to her. Look, this, you know, this is how it is. It's this or the grave, you know? So well, that's what that's I, I, I would say that she didn't have possibly didn't have to die. But with a, I, I think Kirk would have had to take it. I don't think Kirk could ever, no matter how in love he was with any women, is ever going to leave the Enterprise. You know, until they pry it from his cold, dead hands or blow it up over a planet. But well, that kind um, of begs into my next question, which is where and, and granted, you know, I, I when people fall in love and, and it's all at that, you know, doughy eyed phase of, of a romantic relationship, you're not really thinking about the future, so to speak. But this is Kirk. We're, we're talking, talking about. about Kirk. So right, where exactly. do you think this was going in his mind? I mean, he had to be thinking about at least some of the factors here that, you know, here he's a time displaced person from centuries in the future. How the hell did he expect this was going to play out? He's he, he's torturing himself. He was being self-indulgent is what he was being do- right. was doing. He was really, you know, I've always figured the Guardian says when everything's put back in order, you know, they'll be returned. Mm-hmm. So I figured, why why didn't Kirk try to sit her down and do what you did and, and say, look, you know, in the future, there's going to be a dictator. I mean, most people would not believe that, but she might believe it. You know, she was she portrayed as being different. And if he could get her to, well, to in her mind, be like, OK, I'm not going to pursue this pacifism and World War Two has to start, then wouldn't the Guardian be like, ah, everything's back to normal, you know? I mean, if, Plus, if, if she isn't... made the conscious decision not to do it, wouldn't that change time back to normal? You know, right. well, plus this is not a uh, Kyle Reese situation where he's not got a shred of proof to back up his story. He's got a, a walking, talking extraterrestrial as his best friend. And they could show her a computer and they have the computer. Exactly. Yes. They have the tricorder, which he could actually show her some of this stuff. So, you know, I think that's uh you know, a, a big compelling thing right there. Um, you know, it, it just occurs to me that I think this is another reason why I really love this episode and never, ever consciously realized it before is that, you know, you and I, we, we joke a lot about it and, and we love to point it out. And, and it's one of the things that really endears Kirk to us is that he's a complete womanizer but one of the reasons I think I truly love this and never consciously realized it before is that this I don't think this is one of those instances at all. I think he truly loved her. You know, this I, well, I tell Scott, I'm or he tells Scott, he tells Spock, I'm in love with her. Right. I think I'm I think I'm in love with Edith Keeler, which is a really weird thing to say to Spock. You right. know, you're talking about an emotion, you know. And he's telling Spock that, and he knows that that's a really bad thing for him to be doing. But right, you know, he just sort of states it as a as a as a fact. And uh, but you know, my it, my point being that this wasn't going to be an instance where, as soon as he got in her pants, well, that's done. On to the next adventure. You know what I mean? No, he was really into it. You could see their minds, whereas usually you can see Kirk like going. Well, hello. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Aren't you a sight for sore, eye- sore eyes? And in this one, he's more just like, "Hey, this woman's got something, uh, something going, go- you know." And and you can tell by the way they interact that they have a, a rapport. There's some, you know, it's all it all falls into that, the whole fate aspect of the story. You know that that maybe Kirk and her were meant to to meet each other for. 
but but that kind of thing is only good for about 10 seconds, you know? And it might not have been, you know, that might have been the perfect relationship for Kirk to have uh, the, the, the perfect real, you know, romantic right relationship and i'm not talking in a real life i'm talking in this in the fake world of a weekly tv series right is you have kirk have his whole love of his life romance of all time and then she gets killed you know two days later and then it's over and then you never and then you have an excuse for him because wasn't that that isn't that the like the James Bond I was thing? Just he had a wife. To say you know who that makes him, right? It makes him James Bond. Yeah. Exactly. That is. He had the a exact wife, and he story. was very happy. The wife's dead. Now he can sleep with every woman in the world because he's never going to fall he's in love with have, another one exactly, like that. He's never going to allow himself to be hurt again. See, I was going to actually ask you if you think that might be why he is kind of different after this episode as as far as his relationships with women we never really see him fall for one woman again and i know somebody's probably going to bring up miramani but i think even that i think there's extenuating circumstances for one he's not really himself you know he's right he's, he's you know got this alternate Concussion. persona <laughs> you know of, of kirok and all that but even there I don't think he fell for Miramani because she in intellectually stimulated him. I think that she, you know he just she was had the hottest game in town. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. She. Yeah. Exactly. He's so. Kirk, and he's like, okay, who's okay? Yeah. No. 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 Whoa, Miramonte. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, yes. I, I really think that that Edith, you know, was the one for Kirk and I think that's why it makes this episode that much more tragic and why I really feel for him and uh, I think it's interesting that while that whole dynamic has been hinted at and you know touched upon a little bit in you know some of the the comics and novels and stuff like that it's never really been explored and I actually kind of like that because it's almost like it's sacred ground that people don't want to mess with too much. But knowing what we know now of where things have gone with Star Trek, I think if you could ever go back and do one of those, you know, this is the way, you know, Kirk should have ended up type of deals. I kind of would like to have seen him somehow or other try to wind up with with Edith, you know, go well, back and try to save her or something like that. Well, isn't that isn't that part of uh doesn't have something to do with the mind sifter or don't yeah doesn't edith keeler come into that and i remember she's a conversation yeah she's not actually in it but yeah that was uh he's trying to find her not, he's yeah. trying to figure out some way of of hooking up with her and um uh, i remember talking to you i don't know if it was on the on the show or off the show and just one of our it seems to me it maybe had been when I was on one of my visits to you and we were talking about um, generations. Right. And and I think it, I'm pretty sure it was you who were saying, don't you think it should have been Edith Keeler mm-hmm. who Kirk would have been in in, in, in the whatchamacallit there, the yep. the Matrix Void thing there. Absolutely. What the hell was the name of it? What, was the, what the, the hell was the name the of Nexus. that? The Nexus. The Nexus. Yeah. That, uh, that that it should have probably been Edith Keeler in the Nexus with him, and that would have been really interesting if you went to the Nexus and Kirk was living in the 30s with Edith Keeler, yeah. which would make sense, you know, a simpler life, and you know, 
and 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 you know it's really funny because when you think about um is it's Star Trek 2 where McCoy gives Kirk the glasses the antique glasses and you start getting you know they start setting up the thing of the, that Kirk likes antiques and old stuff right and that might have something to do with uh his visit to the 30s exactly. you know and uh, yeah, that would have been great if he was in the Nexus and and he came out and he was and he was and he was running the running the mission with uh, Edith Keeler. That would have been awesome. Because I know in the novelization of that book of Generations, he goes through at least a couple of choices before, you know, choices of women before he settles on uh, whatever Antonia or whoever it was in yeah, the movie. Just some random. Yeah, well, I know one of them was up. was uh, was Carol Marcus, the the mother of his son. I cannot remember for the life of me if Edith was one of them or not. I, see, I, I don't think it was, but I think that would have been a, a, a logical choice. Plus, I never saw Carol Marcus as a viable mate for Kirk. It seemed like right. they had a fling, and the baby came out of it, and she was just like, "Fuck it, I'm keeping the baby." But you yeah, know, I don't want. Away. Yeah, yeah. Neither of them were. Neither of them seemed like they were really uh, into uh, having any kind of real relationship. The you way know, I always again. read it was that she wasn't into him, and he regretted it because he was into her. That's how I always read that in Star Trek Two. Was that he regretted how things went and she really didn't because you know they they had their thing and that was it and and she had her career and all that and wasn't really basically just wasn't really all that into him and just the way i read kirk and and shatner in that movie that that's what i pull out of it was that there's there's a regret there and maybe maybe mm-hmm. it's just purely the child at that point maybe it's just an old man looking you know and he even says it himself in the movie his life that could have been right right. to regret, you know, that, that he didn't go that path kind of thing. But I don't know. I mean, but as far as like, you know, of, of all the women in star Trek that we saw Kirk, you know, dally with, and (laughs) there were a good number of them. There's not one relationship that plays like this one, not one. No, he doesn't, he doesn't do the grab her and ma- do the lip mash that he usually does the aggressive like i am the caveman claiming my bride by the right. hair that he usually does she kisses him oh he's he, totally uh the, he's being the, the gentleman awkward, when i well i would say gentleman but also he seems like kind of the awkward schoolboy in this one yeah like, like yeah he's, he's bowled over by her exactly and, and I mean, and when he catches her and he's freaking out because he just caught her and, you know, he might have just destroyed his ship and stuff. And, and, and she smooches him and he's just like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Thank, thanks, ma'am. Thanks. You know, and he gets a goofy grin oh, on his oh, face. Oh, and, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I used to work with a kid who was who was like the you know the awkward teenager. He was about your son Scotty's age, and I used to years ago would work with this kid, and you, you, you know some girl would be around him, and she'd obviously like him, and you'd be like, "Dude, don't you you notice she's really in it? No, 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 no." But it's it's cool to see Kirk get taken off guard like that, you know, to get to get Kirk really gets a wind knocked out of his sails in this episode, oh, yeah. you know, more than ever in any 
other, you know, uh, you know, I mean, even more so than the Enterprise getting blown up. The mm. only other thing that takes him down more than this is when Spock dies. I think those, I think Edith Keeler dying and Spock dying are like just the these two, you know, incredibly standout moments in Kirk's life. You know, I, I think those are the moments where, you know, Kirk has lost the two most important people in his life, you know, at one point. I mean, he's regained Spock. And and in the Star War, Star Trek world, he could have probably regained Edith Keeler too, but, you know. Well, I'm just thinking that, you know, granted, I don't, I don't have the same feelings about Generations that most other Star Trek fans do. Most other Star Trek fans, to, to my really don't like understanding, it. really, really, really hate that movie. I don't. I find a lot to like in that movie. And, you know, while I acknowledge the flaws, it doesn't ruin the movie for me. I can still find a lot to enjoy in the movie, just if nothing else, is a fun popcorn muncher. And it's kind of the Kirk of old, where he's really there just to be ass-kicking Kirk. I like that. But imagine for a moment in that scene where Picard comes walking down into the clearing and finds Kirk chopping wood. What if sitting like in a in a chair right there watching him or something was Joan Collins, like present day Joan Collins playing yeah. his wife, Edith Keeler in the Nexus? And I think it would completely change the tone of that scene. And that might be a big enough geek bone thrown to, you know, to the fans. It would add a lot of resonance to it. Hell it would yeah. Make it, it, would. it would make it, it would make his decision to leave the Nexus all that more. Oh yeah. Incredible. You and know, it would all give, that more. Yeah. It would give Shatner a chance to truly act in that movie too. I mean, not that yes. he doesn't, I'm just saying, but it would. Uh, yeah. He, 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 the thing about that movie is he was just sort of in part of it. Like so he was when, the guest when, star. He was the guest star, and he came off as a guest star. Exactly. He wasn't fully engaged. Right. You know, they, these guys had been doing a weekly show together. They were all, they were all, you know, he was a guest there. He was literally, the star, yeah. you know, he was, he was in, he's like the king of Star Trek, but it's a whole different country full of people, and and it, and it comes off as that, you know, he 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 hits his Kirk beats. As, as you know as much as he can and then and then he goes out at the end and it's and but imagine <sighs> kirk having to give up edith keeler for a second Again. time you know imagine that for a moment and and shatner really bringing the shatner to that scene that could have taken a movie that i you know i think is eh, it's it's okay at best and could have made it just wow! That's yeah. phenomenal. You know, that's a, yeah. that's a hell of a Kirk movie. You know, it could have made that movie. It really could have, and it, and it's a shame that they weren't able to do something like that. And see, you wouldn't even have to do any sort of any sort of screwing around or recasting or anything. They totally could have got you know present day Joan Collins because well, of the, the nature about- of that Nexus thing. It, it would have completely worked. Yeah. And and jo- you know it's really funny is reading about this. Joan Collins was sort of like Harlan Ellison didn't have nice things to say about Joan Collins either as for what she said about the thing because whenever she talks about the show like in her bio- autobiography, mm-hmm. she was like I was in a I, w- I was in an episode of Star Trek where I had to die because 
I ended up because I was a because my character became a Nazi or was a Nazi or something like that. And it's like, no, your character was a pacifist that allowed Hitler. You know, she got it all confused to where she her character became Hitler or somehow, you know, right. endorsed Hitler or something. And Harlan Ellison was like, no, that's <laughs> I don't think she she understood her role on that show. <laughs> that much but i'm sure joan collins would have been i'm sure they could have gotten her to be on an on a in a star hey, trek they, movie they got her for uh for uh the last dvd set that just came out she's on there uh talking with shatner just as a just oh really yeah and oh it, that's cool yeah, there's at least one documentary on there where i can't remember what the subject is it's either this episode or just you know kirk's conquest in general or some something to that effect <laughs> the ladies of kirk yeah. the ladies of kirk yeah basically and she and uh, and Shatner side by side yucking it up about their time on Star Trek. So I mean, yeah. obviously she's available and, and, and interested and, and you know still friendly, yeah. you know part of the family. So why the hell not? I think that would have been great because that whole Antonio thing. Not only did it always drive me crazy because it's it's a completely new and unknown element, but I can't properly place that in the timeline. When the hell was that supposed to have happened in Kirk's career? I, I've never yeah, been no, able it to was, properly place that at all. It was it was just a plot element, you know. Yeah. I remember when I saw it in the movies, it was just like, oh, and then she's just don't you just sort of see like the back of her head or something? It's an, or, a silhouette, basically. A yeah. silhouette, yeah. You know, basically she's just shown as a sort of idealized. Yeah, she's like Lady know, Godiva on the hill silhouette type of thing, and that's all you really ever get. And yeah, you know, when and, you've already you know thrown in things like Sulu's daughter that we'd never heard of before, and all these other elements that are suddenly thrown in there, it gave me the feeling of a movie that hadn't been properly researched. You know, so yeah, I think that would have been a hell of a bone to throw in, you know, to to bring that element in, and it really would have. I think it would have done so much. It would have given Shatner a connection to the movie. It would have given him a chance to to really act and bring his A game. It would have bring, brung a, a sense of tying back to the old series and everything. And it just, it would have shown the fans. It would have made that, sense, too. Yeah, it, it would have, have made a actually lot. Actually, yeah. really made the most sense of anybody they would have put him with. Absolutely. And, you know, I think we, we had hinted at this before when we, when we did our commentary for, uh, for Star Trek V. That personally, I would like to believe that if Kirk had allowed Cybok to reach into his mind and pull out his pain, that this very likely could have been what Cybok found mm -hmm. was the Edith Keeler thing. He would have found, and I forgot Kirk lost his son too. Mm -hmm. But so even Kirk's... that didn't affect him, you know. Well, he barely knew his son. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's that's a good point too. Um. I know we're up against the clock. So the last thing I wanted to talk about real quick was uh, was the Guardian itself. Um, and this uh, this has become quite the little uh, Star Trek. Uh, it's almost a crutch at this point, because originally, you know, it, it never appeared again in the original series. They did use it for what I still consider to be the best episode of the animated series, which was yesteryear. And that mm -hmm. is an episode that in a lot of ways right up there with this one it's that's a strong episode i think it's ironic actually that that both of the best well, episodes it's... of each series involve the guardian of forever well they involve the guardian and for of forever and they involve very emotional even with in spock's case and very um intense you know um personality forming moments 
for Spock, you know, in his childhood and for Kirk in his adulthood. You know, they're 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 true character development moments in a in a in you know, a weekly or whatever the cartoons were, you know, an ongoing series where character development wasn't usually it was usually just sort of was usually not really <laughs> A factor. If there was character development, it was discarded in the next one. But both of those have re- resonance as to really, you know, feeling they give they both give you the feeling that you've seen a very important part in that person's life. You know, something that's going to resonate forever. You know, you sort of see how Spock, you know, not not how he became what he was, but what he was before he was the Spock of today. You know, that he was. His when when he had more foibles and and um, conflict with himself, you know, and uh, the 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 same with Kirk, you know, you you got to see Kirk with his guard, you you got to see him both with their guard down in both of those episodes. Yeah, I'm I'm not as harsh on the animated series as you, but I will agree that that's the that that episode stands out as and uh, who wrote that? Did did did. Uh, DC Fontana wrote wrote that episode. DC Fontana, yeah. And um, so you got one of the A writer. You know, I I, I personally think DC Fontana is probably the best Star Trek writer you got. You know, she sort of seemed to get it. I think the most. So you got a Harlan Ellison story and a DC Fontana story, both you know around the Guardian of Forever. So they're like the they're like the A game shows and 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 the the cartoons a lot of the times the cartoons were just either a rehash just sort of an adventure or sometimes almost kind of nonsensical and that one was really cohesive and you know and it had Spock's pet you know how cool is that that Spock's pet's a big saber-tooth <laughs> wolf lot. creature yeah, like yeah. Those you know I mean I mean, as a kid, as a kid, it was funny because I never saw that for years and years, and I'd seen pictures of it and stuff. So it was like one of the holy grails for me to finally see that episode. You know, when it finally, when I finally tuned one in, you know, at at a young age, it was just like, oh, I finally get to see the legendary. You know, I wanted to see the Spock's childhood so bad. You know, yeah, I, I. I personally can't wait in some way, shape, or form to cover the animated series. I know you're not quite as. Uh... <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm, uh, I'm excited about it. No, I mean, I, I don't, you know, hate it or anything. And, and to be honest, I'm not even sure. And I hate to admit this, I'm not even sure I've seen every single episode. So, I mean, eventually, when we do get to it, I, I'm kind of looking forward to it as, you know, a, a, an area of trek that, you know, I have yeah. not fully explored. So, who knows? Right. You know, there might be other stuff. And I mean, there are other episodes that that I can watch, and there's other episodes I enjoy. It's just for my money, you know, the only one I ever truly loved was Yesteryear, and I found all the others severely lacking. And it doesn't help that Yesteryear was, I, I'm pretty sure, the very first episode. So I when you got your best first one, one first, it's like, well, then you know it's only downhill from there, and it it kind of took the wind out of my sails, uh, you know, as far as watching it, but. You know, I, I do like that, you know, of course, 
you know, because it's a cartoon, then, you know, they were free to, you know, they didn't have budgetary constraints, so they could have wackier aliens you have and some things neat, like that. Neat so. aliens, neat, the, there's, there's, you see, the, the thing is, there's only a, really a handful of those episodes I really consider good. And then there's some that are just your standard cheesy animation by, um, what is it, Filmation, you know, who weren't known for being top of the line this was like top of the line for filmation. This was filmation really, you know, they got the, they got the actors, you know, cause filmation wasn't like Disney or something. They were sort of like a company that would get a license to do something and then sort of throw it together. You know, right. and they had stock music and they were kind of on the cheap. And, uh, but there's, uh, there's, there's a couple of these. There's one where they find this old lost drifting ghost spaceship that, you know, went, when they beam over to it, it's it's sort of um, enclosed in a in a force field that um, um, keeps an atmosphere around it. So they're in this big gothic broken up ship with space all you know something yeah something right. they never could have done on the on the show ever and and gotten away with it. Oh, just an just an aside. Something I read today. Scientists are pretty sure. They have invented a tractor beam. Oh wow! So, so a little bit of Star Trek technology. It's going to be something, I guess, they put on satellites to um, to um, push away space debris. Oh, that would be uh, like a deflector then. That's pretty cool. Not not as much of a deflector. But yeah, but yeah, but like a, something that it seems like it like grabs onto something and pu- pushes it away. I always picture yeah a deflector shield. You're right. I always pictured deflector shields as being sort of like a solid wall in space, but well, the no, the, the like the screens, like the shields, were supposed to be basically like a solid right. thing around it. But the deflector, like the front deflector dish on the Enterprise, pushes things away. Yeah, the way I, you know, and this is my limited understanding of it, but the way I always uh, had thought that it worked was that as they're zipping along doing, you know, warp three or whatever it's actually sending like an invisible beam or wave or something ahead of the that ship that's making like sure that plow. it's knocking everything out of yeah. the way, you know, so that they're not being pelted with like micrometeors and shit like that, you know, that could, you know, you can imagine if you're traveling at, you know, three times the, the speed of light for, for and months you get on hit end for by years. something that's the size of, you know, a, a pinhead, it's going to mess you up. <laughs> you know? so. Yep. Yep, the best illustration of that. What was it? I want to uh, was it? I want to say Ghosts of Mars. It wasn't Ghosts of Mars. It was that Brian De Palma Mission to Mars. Mission to Mars. Yeah. When when they're sitting there and just all of a sudden out of nowhere, like just a little piece of dust, fucks them all up. Mm-hmm. Just puts a pinhole in their ship and through a couple screens and just like messes the whole thing up really bad. Mm-hmm. But um. Yeah, so there's a, some Star Trek tech. I'm I'm still waiting for I still wait for the transporter. Well, didn't they supposedly beam like a what was it like? It was like a micro particle, part, it was or like something? a particle, yeah, yeah, like a particle of energy or something, you know, so something on the subatomic level or something like that, you know, nothing, you know, like a first baby step. But I'm still waiting for when you know they they send the first chimp across the country through the transporter, and he comes out. Inside out, inside like, out. Fly. <laughs> 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 well, 
Well, I wanted to uh, close out the episode with kind of a plea to the listeners. Uh, we have some great, great, great listeners that know so much more about Star Trek than yeah. we do. And uh, so sure. I, I just want to uh, put out a plea to them. If anybody knows of anything, be it a, a, a book or comic book or anything like that, that kind of deals with the ramifications of this episode in, in the lives of the characters, particularly Kirk, I'd really like to read that. I mean, I know that the Guardian has been in, you know, umpteen stories, you know, in, in the comics and the novels and stuff. And I'm not talking specifically about the Guardian. I'm talking about basically, Edith Keeler. you know, as soon as the screen fades to black in this episode, I want more. I want to know what happens to Kirk after this. And I know that there's a series of books out there. There's a trilogy out there called the, uh, the Crucible books. And I have the Kirk book. And I think that might be what I'm looking for. I just haven't had time to read it yet. The only other thing I'm aware of is there was a book years ago called um, Final Frontier that takes place a short time after this episode where Kirk basically goes back home to kind of mourn, you know, his loss and everything. And it ends up he like goes back to his family's farm and he's pouring over like, I don't know, like old letters or something. And it becomes a flashback book. That's all about Kirk's father. I didn't like it very much. I liked that framing element of the story, but I, I mean, I specifically want that story. If it's ever right. told of basically the day after the city on the edge of forever, I want that story. So if anybody knows if, if anything like that's ever been done, I'd love it's, to read it. It's tw- 24 hours of Kirk laid in his bed going, no, no, oh God, and like eating ice cream, and then sitting on the shitter, taking a shower. We are so sensitive, aren't we? Dork and Janet Rand. <laughs> I think we have our side of right there. And it's so crassly. <laughs> Do you ever find yourself going to Amazon.com and uh, buying some record or movie or some stupid thing that two true freaks have been talking about so that you can catch up on it or you've been reminded of it or something? Well, now, how about this? Instead of going to Amazon.com, go to twotruefreaks.libson.com and follow our link to Amazon.com. When you do that, if you buy something over at Amazon, we get a little cut out of it, which is awesome because we love money and it won't cost you a thing. Did you know you can sponsor an episode of this or any other of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right. Simply click the PayPal link on our website, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf, and you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libson.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. 
Libsyn is spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Join our forum at forumforgeeks.com, where you can discuss all of the shows on our feed with us and your fellow listeners. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. And hey, you can friend me, Scott Gardner, on Facebook too. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T-G-A-R-D-N-E-R. You can friend me on Facebook too, if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com, where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Tune in for next Star Trek Monthly Monday as Kirk marries Miramonte in the Paradise Syndrome, which we are picking because it goes perfectly with um, this, this, this episode. It will be the two Kirk's love of his life episodes in a row. So there you go. No random generator. We're subverting the process. Screw you! Two True Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.